about to hear is broadcasting from the past. So buckle up and leave your world behind. Immerse yourself in picture, sound, and wonder. This is Throwback Cinema. Hello, movie watchers, and welcome to the first episode of Throwback Cinema. This is your host, Patricia Martinez, and today we're going to be talking about 1982 horror film Poltergeist, directed by Toby Hooper, produced by Steven Spielberg, with a co-writer credit from Spielberg. This movie has a really Spielberg vibe going on, and there is controversy over who actually directed Poltergeist. At the time, Spielberg was directing E.T., so he was under contract with Universal that he couldn't work in any other project as a director while working for E.T. So Steven Spielberg decided to hire Toby Hooper, who is the director of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Originally, Poltergeist was going to lean more into the sci-fi genre, but when Toby Hooper joined the scene, it became a horror film. Actually, there's been theories around for years now that Spielberg secretly directed this film, but Spielberg, to this day, he denies this series, but basically, Poltergeist film is very different from other of Hooper works, but I will not go deeper on this topic since I haven't seen Toby Hooper's films yet, so I will lean basically into the Steven Spielberg side of this film. This is my first time watching this movie, and a little disclaimer here, I haven't watched the sequels yet, so my opinions are only based on my viewing of this first film. My initial impressions of this film, well, I went kind of totally blind without knowing much about it, except the scene where the girl is in front of the TV. Of course, I had heard before that iconic line, they're here, they're and saw that spider looking ghost by the end of the film, but I didn't know all of this was from Poltergeist. The beginning of the film intrigued me, and the lighting was driving me crazy in a good way, I guess. There's a lot of flickering, and this provoked me a sense of anxiety and a sense that something was not quite right. If you're prone to have seizures, I wouldn't advise you watching this film, and you probably should stay away because the lighting and flickering was too much at times, and if you have seizures, it might not be recommended for you to watch this or consult your doctor after viewing, I guess. I don't know. The last 20 minutes of the film were great, especially the special effects department did a very great job at the end and all throughout the film. They used a lot of practical effects, which of course there was some aging if you start comparing with the effects that they do now. They really hold together and made this film enjoyable to watch. There's some iconic moments. There's the special effects also kind of are pre-Ghostbusters and they remind me a little bit of Ghostbusters, the look of the ghost. And something about the ending that I didn't quite enjoy is the script. It kind of felt off, but I'll go in detail over the script a little bit later because those last 20 minutes could have been added earlier on the film because it kind of didn't make sense at all. Or maybe there's terrible parenting going on during this film because those 20 minutes shouldn't have happened. The film follows a family living in Cuesta Verde, a suburban neighborhood in a valley in California, USA. Their house is being haunted by a host of demonic ghosts. I want this podcast to be a conversation about films, so therefore each episode might and probably will contain mild spoilers. 
spoiler. So leave right now so you don't get through the film. You hear the national anthem. And that's a very peculiar way to start. And it makes this statement that this is an American film. And that's just what we get. An American horror film. This film wants us to meet this suburban family, which seems like the father watching football with friends, having an argument with a neighbor because they are fighting over the TV controls. They live in different houses, but somehow their TV controls are interfering with each other and they cannot watch the programming that they wish. I'm kind of glad that I was born in the mid-90s and this was never a problem in my life. Throughout the film, we see televisions in every part of the house, in the living room, the bedrooms, in the kitchen. Every scene is constantly going back to a TV set. And something I particularly found interesting was the fact that they used cold blue lights in the cinematography making us feel like we were actually inside the TV the whole time. Matthew F. Leutoni's choice of using this lighting was on point. It kind of feels like you're surrounded by the house static. And I really love the scenes when we saw the outside of the house with the blue light coming from the windows and flickering. The family is being haunted by spirits that are pissed off because they build a house on top of the remains. The spirits take a focus on Carol Ann, a five-year-old girl. They communicate with her through the TV and it's here where we get the iconic line Weird stuff happens around the house and the parents eventually take notice of what's going on. Chairs are moving from one side to another, lights are flickering and eventually the spirits take Carol Ann into their dimension. The mother, instead of running away and protecting her children, she starts playing experiments with her younger daughter, Carol Ann, and tries to figure out what is going on. And this is something that I didn't understood while watching the film. If weird stuff is happening in the house, why they just don't leave that first moment where the chairs move? That's something that I don't understand. But of course, when you're watching a horror film, there you should put your suspension of disbelief and just let things happen because if they will have left that first instance where the chair were moving, then we wouldn't have a movie at all. Also, during this point, at around the 34-minute mark, we got this very weird jump cut. Diane Freeling, the mother, is in the middle of explaining to Steve Freeling, the father, what is going on. And it just cuts in the middle of a sentence and opens in the next scene where they're talking to the neighbor. And it just opened mid-sentence and started mid-sentence and it's this very weird jump cut. It's actually not a mistake in the film. It's actually put there on purpose because as it turns out, the original script, there is this line where Steve says, I hate Pizza Hut and the fast food chain company took notice of this before the film actually got released and they weren't happy about this. So they basically took a hold of this line in the script and they talked to MGM and had them remove the line from the scene and they actually removed the whole scene where they mentioned Pixar. If you want to actually read the real script of this deleted scene, I will leave in the show notes a link where you can find the blog post where I got this information. Now back to the and let's stop talking about Pizza Hut because I'm just getting hungry just thinking about The story really escalates the moment that weird stuff starts to happen in the kids' room. 
Ravi, who is Anne's younger brother, or I don't know if they're actually twins because they actually look around the same age. I don't know. But he gets swallowed by what appears to be a willow tree. It's just a tree by his window, which he's afraid of this tree. And he gets sucked by the tree. He gets eaten by the tree. And while the parents go outside to try to rescue him, Anne is still in the room and she gets sucked into the closet into the, the astral dimension of the spirits. And the rest of the film follows the parents trying to get Anne back. And this scene, things just start going crazy. But yeah, this is really, it's like, if you are not hooked by this point of the film, while watching this scene unfold, it made me think of childhood fears because earlier on the film, Ravi demonstrated that he was afraid of this tree and his father told him a story about how the tree actually protects them. But later it turns out his father was wrong and the tree ended up attacking him. It's and coming to life and that's just something I didn't expect. Just like he's just there sleeping and then the tree come crashing to the window and take him outside and start eating him and it's just crazy all over. And appears to have a fear of dark monsters in her closet or something. And there is a scene where her mother is tugging her into bed before going to sleep and tells her mother to leave the closet light on. The closet then becomes a portal to the astral world and Anne gets sucked by the closet. So all this fear stuff really got me thinking that the film is trying to tone, hone in into childhood fears. Poltergeist got weird really quick. And after my first viewing, I have only watched this film once. I'm still very confused on what the film is really about. There's a lot of explanation about ghosts, about life and death and the in-between. But at the core, I think that this film is about fear and what actually scares us. I should probably go back and watch this film again to understand more the deep meanings of the afterworld and the spirits, but this film is just supposed to be fun horror film. It's not supposed to be that deep. So I'm fine with the understanding that I got from this first watch. Carol Ann begins communicating with her mother through the TV. The television seems to be a gate of communication between the two planes of existence. The father then the next day hires a group of Ghostbusters. Wait a second. By 1982, Ghostbusters wasn't a, I mean, a group of parapsychologists to get their daughter back. Poltergeist visual effects really remind me a lot of Ghostbusters. That's why I was joking around earlier about it. the scene of the hand coming out of the TV and the look of the ghost was really similar to the special effects using Ghostbusters. And also some of the practical effects and the, yeah, it, they have similar vibes going on. And those movies actually have a lot in common. I actually found a video on YouTube, which I'll leave in the show notes for your enjoyment. And this video compares both films and what they have alike. If you enjoy Ghostbusters, Poltergeist is a version, but with a little bit more horror because Ghostbusters, for those who have seen it, of course, leans more into the fun comedy side of it all. And Carl's sister, Dana Freeling, is a very pointless character. 
throughout the film. Her character is barely used and it feels more like an afterthought. We barely see her through the film. She's just there in the background being scared and her character is not being fully developed. She just ends up leaving her family for most of the film and staying at a friend's house because she's just really frightened by the horrors that are happening inside the house. At the very beginning of the film, we see that the family is digging a pool in the backyard and the construction workers harass Dana one morning on her way to school. They're saying stuff to her. They're blowing her kisses. And what's really odd about this scene is that her mother was watching the whole scene unfold from the kitchen window and she does nothing about it. She just lets it happen. And this goes to show us that Her mother is a very ter terrible parent throughout the film. Like first she was using Anne Carlin little experiments to see what the girl's happening. She also didn't defend her teenage daughter while being harassed by worker. She's just a very terrible mother letting her kids run wild through the world and being taken by paranormal beings. While the parapsychologists are searching the house and trying to determine what's going on, there is this horrific scene where one of them goes into a state of trance and we see a kind of very experimental scene develop that in a way kind of feels a little bit off, like from another more artsy film, I guess. And during this experimental scene, we see him put his hand in his skin in his face and starts ripping skin all over his face. It's really gods are coming everywhere. It's very visually crazy and the makeup on this scene was on point, the special effect. But that entire scene at the end started feeling like very out of place. It's just there for the point of creeping the audience out. And well, it actually creeped the audience out. So it kind of achieved The next day, the parapsychologist brings someone new to help, Tangina. She's played by Zelda Rubenstein. The character was iconic. She was funny. And Tangina is one of those characters and actress that has a very big on-screen presence. Tangina decides that they should go into the closet room to retrieve Carl Ann. She walks the parents through what's going on. And there is this speech of trying to explain the otherworldly stuff going on around the house. And basically the closet is the entrance to the other plane of existence. And on the living room roof, there is an exitway. So there is this funny scene where Diane, the mother, and Tangina are discussing who should go in. That scene was just so funny and made me laugh. The film has this mix of humor and horror and actually the humor sprinkled throughout made it not feel that scary because there's like this big scare, but then they put this humorous film and it's kind of like a fun film to watch, but also has some horrific, you know, horror film sequences.
And as expected, they of course got the daughter out. The mother went into the astral world and they come out the other way into the living room. But they just like dropped from the ceiling and into the floor and they didn't even put a bed or something to grab them so they don't end being. They come out covering goo. That actually looks like It was pink jello and probably they used some sort of jello to make this goo. And so, yeah, they come out and they both wake up and are safe. And at this moment, Tangina delivers another iconic line. This house is clean. I really enjoyed Zelda Rubenstein's portrayal of this character. Every line she delivered felt iconic including her speech explaining all about the astral world. Even though I was confused all through her speech, I didn't get what she was saying. She was just talking nonsense to me. But, well, she was trying to explain where the spirits came through and why they were being disturbed and the big monster at the end. So, yeah, her character was a big part in this film and I really enjoyed her watching. But here's the thing that really bothered me from this movie. The scene then cuts out to the next day and we see that the family are in the front yard and that they're packing their stuff into a movie into a moving van and you, you at that moment you think like finally the family is going somewhere else to live and they're gonna be safe but no i was totally wrong and yeah there's like a still like i don't know 20 minutes left of the film so of course something wrong was gonna happen at this point And the father didn't care. He just was like, yeah, I'm going to go to the office and I'm going to come back later. And the mother then puts the kid back into the room. Yeah, like the mother didn't care of what just happened. And he just put the kids back to sleep into the room where was practically ground zero for the spirits and where actually the portal is located. She just didn't care and acted like if nothing had happened and just put the kids to sleep. And holy shit, we got some crazy stuff going on, some visual effects. Really, all the budget or most of the budget must have gone to these final scenes because it was incredible. I don't know, I really didn't get the part where the family just decided to stay one night in the house where they experienced this horror. It's like nothing happened. Let's just put the kids back into the room where everything starts and where my daughter got sucked into another void. It's not like she's going to be sucked into that void again. Yeah, like that mother really has problems. Let me say that. Well, a couple minutes later, as expected... Ravi is being a town. Uh, a couple minutes later, as expected, Ravi gets attacked by his clown doll. Poor little Ravi. He was first attacked by a tree, then is being attacked by a possessed clown doll. And here's the thing. Since the beginning of the film, he appears to be afraid of this toy. He actually puts a blanket around it at night to just cover it and not see in it because he's really scared of the clown. Of course, I love the children's room. It's covered on Star Wars toys everywhere. It's Star Wars blankets. And if you didn't know, I'm a big Star Wars fan. I really love that bedroom and I wish that bedroom was mine, even though I'm an adult right now. This poster in the background of Alien. 
I really like that film. I really enjoy it. It's everything in this room is basically a collector's room. So back to the alien poster, it was very cool to see this Easter egg. But let's remember that Alien is actually a rated R film. So it really gets me thinking, what does a rated R film poster is making in the children's bedroom? And what kind of parents are this? If they let their kids watch this film, no wonder they're afraid of afraid and having nightmare all the time they let their children watch alien and if not like this poster shouldn't be there it can be like anywhere else in the house but they put it like in the kids room and that's like a rated r film so why doesn't he has posters of barney or maybe more kitty stuff but whatever basically he's being attacked now by a clown meanwhile Diane hears the scream of his children, and the spirits won't let her save them. And here we get a very crazy and iconic scene where she's launched into the roof, and everything just turns upside down. She's just hanging on the roof, kind of like backwards, you know, uh, very horrid stuff to do. And that's the thing, poltergeist is filled with iconic moments that they later became tropes in the horror film genre. But they probably did it first in Poltergeist and then right now many movies are trying to copy some of the, of the stuff that we saw in here. Diane finally gets down but their children's room is locked so she cannot save them. And she runs outside and falls into the unfinished swimming pool. A lot of skeletons and corpses rise from the water and during this scene we actually see real life skeletons. What you're looking at are not props. For some strange reason, the crew decided they will use real skeletons. And the reason behind was that fake ones will be too costly to produce. They will be too expensive and real skeletons will be cheaper. Which it turns out is quite ironic. Considering that during the film, we see the family is being attacked because of the disturbances of corpses. And in here, the crew members during the production of this film just didn't talk about it and just were like, yeah, let's use real skeletons. And no wonder there's actually a course around the Poltergeist franchise. There has been several unfortunate deaths surrounding the act. And this course started because they used real life skeletons. That's why this course probably started because they used real life skeletons during this production. But yes, tragically, several members of the Portuguese franchise has had unfortunate deaths. And I will not discuss the details in this episode about every event surrounding this terrible chorus, but I will mention the Dominic Dune story. Dominic Dune is who plays Dana Frilling and Carol's teenage sister, who tragically passed away a couple months after filming. On October 30th of 1982, so close to Halloween, she was strangled by her ex-boyfriend in the driveway and died November 4th, having never regained consciousness. After hearing the story, it made me wish that her character was more developed during this. Her career was cut short and this is the only theatrical film she ever did. After hearing this tragic story, it made me wish that her character was more developed. Her career was cut short and this is the only theatrical film she ever did. Apart from Poltergeist, she appeared in some TV shows 
and made for TV shows, movies from 1979 to 1982. If you're really intrigued and want to know more about the course surrounding the Poltergeist franchise, there's actually many videos on YouTube explaining the real horrors behind the production. And there is a documentary by each channel. They made a, an episode in this in their TV show, E! True Hollywood Story. And one of the episodes talk everything to know about the Portuguese course and the tragic deaths of the actors. There are more deaths. Of course, there's more tragedy surrounding Portuguese, but I'm not going to talk about them right now. I might talk about them in future Portuguese videos because I'm probably going to watch the other two sequels. By the end of the film, things are blowing up everywhere. As it turns out, the realtors only moved the tombstones and they left the coffins with the bodies on the ground and just built houses on top. I feel like whatever is happening in this house should have happened in every house in the neighborhood. I enjoy seeing all the craziness unfold during this last scene. You know, the coffins coming from the, from the ground, the mother and the kids trying to escape from the house where they eventually meet up with Steve who just seems to get back at the house at the right at time, pulls into the driveway and the family just gets in the car. And the dog was is the first one to get into the car. And during this part, we actually see the return of Tana. She's finally back from her friends and she's finally here again. She, like her character just appears and then disappears all throughout the film. And yeah, I don't know why they... They had too many characters and yeah, she's just like there in the background the whole time. But well, I love the touch of the ending scene. Well, I really enjoy the special effects they did. The moment the house just keeps in and it feels like it just sucked into the void. I really enjoyed those special effects. And then the family finally leave and the whole neighborhood seemed to notice what's going on in the house. And the realtor is there and he gets shot by a beam coming from the house. I love the touch of that final ending scene. The family finally gets to sleep. They go to a holiday inn and they walk into the room and the father comes out of the room. And just to be safe, he just leaves the TV in the hallway. And I just love that subtle movement that it's just like, this ending but it's not like other horror films where they try to have an ending where they have this feeling of they aren't safe yet something is coming in this film everything just seems to wrap up and it's very kind of humorous how the father just takes the tv from the room and just pulls it into the hallway just to be safe of course i was expecting a little bit more i was expecting the father to actually grab the tv and smash it through the balcony but that didn't happen. But it's fine, you know, I really like the ending of the TV outside in the hallway and the camera slowly pulling away and the credits rolling up. It's just a very nice happily ever after ending. Of course, happily ever after, no, because the family really endure a lot together. It has been a very traumatic experience for them, but they finally get some silent that night in the hotel and the story wraps up nicely in a bowl. I didn't find this film that scary and that could just be because of the fact that there's humor sprinkled between the scares 
But I'm very surprised about the PG rating. This film actually got a PG rating、uh, from the Motion Picture Association of America. And the story behind that is that the film originally received an R rating, but then Spielberg talked them down to get a PG rating. In 1982, there wasn't such a thing as PG-13. PG-13 came to be in 1984, and Poltergeist was released in 1982, so two years earlier. And the first PG-13 film was Red Dawn, and I'm gonna talk more about how the PG-13 rating came to be in the future. But for now, this film got a PG rating, and that's just kind of crazy to think, cause. If a kid watched this film, they probably be horrified and had have nightmares. And there's a lot of stories of how kids watched this film in the '80s and they were totally terrified. So yeah, Poltergeist is a PG rating. There's just this whole thing about rating and how films are graded that is kind of another topic for another day. And to wrap up, it's time to do the best trophies. And this is something I'm thinking of doing for all the episodes. Talk about the best moments of the film, the best characters, the best scenes. So for this film, the best Trova character goes to Tangina. Zelda made the character iconic, and I really enjoyed her presence during this film. The best Trova scene goes to Carl Ann turning around and saying the line, "They're here." Heather's acting was astounding, and considering that this was her first ever job as an actor, they actually just hired her. She's just like brand new, coming to this movie, never acted before. They just thought that she was very cute for the role, and they gave her the role. And her character was full of this cuteness, childhood innocence, which also at time gave it this creep vibe. Hearing her talking to the TV was really creepy. And seeing her, like, I don't know what the parents were thinking the moment that they found out that her daughter was talking to the TV. Like, that's a pretty weird thing to step in as a parent if your children is just there, staring at the TV very closely to static and talking to it. It's just very weird, and I don't know why they didn't take her to a psychologist earlier in the film. And I would love to hear from you. What were your favorite moments from Poltergeist 1982? You can send me your answer via our social media accounts. You can find it at Screenook. That is Screenook with two E's, two N's, and two O's. At Screenook at Instagram, also at Facebook, you can find us, and you can also find that information on the show notes. I hope you enjoy the first episode of Trobeck Cinema, and I look forward to our next conversation. Thank you so much for joining today, and hope you have a great day. Dear listener, you have now reached the end of this podcast. We hope you enjoyed your experience. However, going back to the modern world could induce some side effects, such as nostalgia and a void forming within. So tune back next week to do it all over again for another episode of Throwback Cinema.